right. Well, we're jumping into a short little series entitled, How Is This Possible? We are looking at the days following the resurrection. So last week was Easter. Um, <clears throat> you know, typically pastors uh, have somebody else preach for them the Sunday after Easter. Uh, and I'm glad to see you all here and for those of you watching with us online, uh, because Easter Sunday is typically the largest attended service of the year, Easter and Christmas are, uh, and then the least attended is the Sunday after Easter, <laughs> and I think it may be because of all the, the hype of Easter and all of that, and I actually, I would prefer to, to speak on and, and teach on the Sunday after Easter than on Easter, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, you, you know, you get, got to give this evangelistic message and all of that. And I'm just by gift mix and all of that. I'm not a, a I'm not an evangelist. I'm a, I'm a teacher. And so I'm glad to be teaching with you this morning. I'm glad that you guys are here today. We're just going to jump right into this series. Uh, the series is, is kind of based at the, the time or the space between, uh, the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, the time in which Jesus uh, ascends back into heaven from earth. And in that space, in that time, there are these encounters that uh, Jesus has with the disciples. And, and we're going to take a look at some of these encounters and see how do these encounters affect us today. What I, I believe that there are some things that Jesus wants to do in his disciples in that, in that time before he ascends to heaven. And I think that he wants to do something in us as well. So we're going to jump right in, tell you a story uh, from 1942. It was November 1942. Hitler's Air Force had invaded and was terrifying the English skies. Britain was feeling the, the dread of his enlarging shadow over Europe, and the country was asking the question, how long can we endure the unrelenting darkness of this situation? Winston Churchill was the prime minister at that time, and he needed to answer that question for his people, and he needed to answer it quickly. What could he say to give these people hope and courage in the midst of such a dark time? And on November 10th, he addressed a worried audience at the Lord Mayor's Day luncheon. Slowly and in his particular style, he spoke these immortal words. He says, now is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning the disciples in Luke chapter 24 also needed to hear those words. The dark shadows of Jesus' death hung heavy over them. All of their hope was completely gone. They were frightened. They were confused. And they were hearing like these initial reports and, uh, and these evidences of the resurrection, but they met those reports with disbelief. They, they didn't believe them. And now they're finding themselves hiding behind closed doors. They, uh, they, they're kind of hunkered down. They're fearful for their own lives if, in case they're recognized as being a Jesus follower. And, and they're just they're hiding and they're grieving in the safety of, of their own quarters. Life seemed to have closed in on them and it now seemed impossible for them to continue in their ministry. It was done. 
that with the crucifixion, their purpose had been taken from them. And when all was said and done, most of them ran away. And one, their unelected leader, had even denied ever knowing Jesus. They were down and out and didn't know what to do. It it seemed like the, the end of all of their hopes and dreams. Everything that they thought was going to be the case with Jesus. Jesus was going to be their king. He was going to be the one that was going to deliver them from the hands of the Roman Empire. And and now with the crucifixion, everything is over for them. There were some final things, though, that he wanted to do for his disciples before he returned back to heaven. And And they're about to discover that it's only the end of a brand new beginning. See, they, they now are in a season where after the crucifixion and the resurrection now begins the real work of everything that they had been taught. And I think Jesus wants to teach us some stuff through this as well. So not only is it seemingly impossible that he resurrected, but how is it possible that he continues to impact our lives today? Well, one of the ways is this. He turned their panic into peace. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. We're going to kind of read through a big portion of the chapter and apply some of that chapter into our lives. But before we do that, I want to tell you a story about the Welk. If you've ever heard of the Welk, it's it's an ocean creature that can ruin an oyster's day. The whelk has an appendage that is like a corkscrew, and what it does is it finds an oyster and it uh, bores a hole with with the appendage into the shell of the oyster, and then through its very small hole, the whelk can devour an entire oyster. It just simply sucks it out little by little until the oyster's gone. In the circumstances of the previous week for the disciples, the crucifixion of Jesus was like a whelk. It had completely sucked all hope, all peace from the disciples. And they were left hiding behind locked doors, worried and panicked. And that's where we pick up on the story in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still not, did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? It's been a few days. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So suddenly and unexpectedly, he is in the room with them. Before them stands the last person in the world that they expected to see. It was Jesus. And notice that his presence so startled them that his first words to them were, Peace, peace be with you. Their leader who they thought was gone, that they thought was dead and buried, was now standing before them in perfect health. In verse 38, he asks them a question. He says, why are you troubled? 
The word troubled there literally means uh, to be stirred up. Why are you so stirred up? The disciples are now really more terrified by the person standing in front of them than they are the threat of death and the threat of persecution from the Romans. Like Now all of a sudden they have this new fear. They, they were They were so stirred up, so afraid, and Jesus did two things to reassure them. First, he tells them, peace be with you, but then he proves that it is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He does this. First, he allows them to touch him. He's like, look, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can come at my side. You can touch the wounds. You can see that I'm I'm flesh and bone. Not a figment of their imagination, not a a spirit being, not some ghost. And then secondly, he asked for and received something to eat. I think this is a very important fact because we all know that ghosts don't eat. (laughs) Right? Because you see it, like you would see the food. I mean, it just, it doesn't work. He was bigger than their circumstances. He he wanted to assure them that he was in control. What was true for the disciples is true for us today. He is in control of our lives. Have you ever asked somebody the question, how are you doing, and gotten the response, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstances? I heard it uh, described, I heard circumstances, the word circumstances described like this, that circumstances are like a mattress, that if you're under the mattress, it will suffocate you. If you're under the circumstances, it will suffocate you. If you're on top of it, you'll get some rest. If you are under either of them, circumstances, mattress, you will suffocate. But if we could get on top of the circumstances that we live in, we could maybe experience some peace. Every day, every week that we wake up, we have a choice to make. We can either focus on our circumstances, and there is a lot of them. There's a lot of chaos going on in our world, and it would be easy to be suffocated by the circumstances around us, or we can wake up every morning, get on top of our circumstances, and put our trust and focus on Jesus. There's an old hymn. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was using an illustration in, in my teaching about uh, a hymnal. And I was talking about, I was reflecting back when I was a kid and growing up in my dad's church. And uh, our denomination had put together a hymnal. And uh, I was describing it. I didn't have one of them. I was describing it and, and talking about the hymns and how things used to be uh, when I was growing up. But Uh, Somebody heard my message and thought, I'm going to find one of those, and they did, and they found one. Uh, I guess they bought it. I hope they didn't pay too much for it, but, uh, and and delivered it to me, and and I thought that was pretty cool. So this is what I was describing. That's what it looks like, and in it is a song, an old song, uh, that says this, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what we're talking about. That we turn the panic and the chaos into peace because we don't find ourselves suffocated by the circumstances of this world. 
The second thing is this. He turned their confusion into clarity. In verse 44, he says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Like, you guys remember, like, it hasn't, I mean, it's been days, right? It's not been years. It's been days. You guys remember when I was with you, I was talking with you, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then it says, he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. It was like the light bulb goes on. Now they remember what he was saying, and now they understand the scriptures. And he tells them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Have you ever been, like, just completely confused by something? It's just so confused. Anybody, like, I know some of you are confused as to how my team won the golf tournament on Thursday. I, I could see it on your face. You're just looking at the score, then looking at me. I've seen you golf. I'm confused by this. And it's just an easy explanation, uh, really. It had nothing to do with me. Uh, I, I, had, I stacked my team with really good players. And, and I figured if, if that team could win first place last year with Paul, then this year I'm going to take them on my team, <laughs> and I'm going to win with them. And I, I did, but it had nothing to do with me. But it was very confusing to a lot of people. Have you ever just been so confused by something, and then all of a sudden clarity comes, and you realize what's actually taking place? In, in the case of the disciples here in verse 44, Jesus takes them to the scriptures and they, in the, prior to the crucifixion, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying, how he was talking about his death, impending death. They didn't understand it. Now, all of a sudden, he takes them to the scriptures, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which is really how the, the Jews had the Old Testament broken up. They were divided into the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus shows them with clarity what each section of their scriptures taught about him, about his death, and his resurrection. And I thought it'd be fun to just take a look at the whole of scriptures, all the books of the Bible, and see what is the running theme of who God is throughout scripture. If you look in Genesis, he is the creator God. In Exodus, he's the Redeemer. In Leviticus, he's your sanctification, which if you don't know what sanctification means, it's the process uh, from salvation uh, through the growth process of your relationship with Christ, that that it's this sanctifying process that takes place in, in you. He's our sanctification. In Numbers, he's your guide. In Deuteronomy, he's your teacher. In Joshua, he's the mighty conqueror. In Judges, he gives victory over enemies. In Ruth, he's your redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's the root of Jesse. In 2 Samuel, he's the son of David. In 1 and 2 King, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. 1 and 2 Chronicles, he's the intercessor high priest, and, and the high priest. In Ezra, he's your temple, your house of worship. In Nehemiah, he's your mighty wall protecting you from the enemies. In Esther, he stands in the gap to deliver you from enemies. He, in Job, he is the arbitrator who not only understands your struggles, but has the power to do something about them. In Psalms, he's your song. He's the reason you sing. In Proverbs, he's your wisdom helping you make sense out of life to live it successfully. 
In Ecclesiastes, he's your purpose, delivering you from vanity. In the Song of Solomon, he's your lover, the Rose of Sharon. In Isaiah, he's the mighty counselor, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father. In short, he's everything that you need. In Jeremiah, he's your balm of Gilead, the soothing salve for your sin-sick soul. In Lamentations, he is the ever-faithful one upon whom you can depend. In Ezekiel, he's the one who assures that dry, dead bones will come to life. In Daniel, he's the Ancient of Days. In Hosea, he is always beckoning you to come back, even when you have abandoned him. In Joel, he's your refuge, keeping you safe in times of trouble. In Amos, he's the husbandman, the one who can depend on to stay by your side. In Obadiah, he is the Lord of the kingdom. In Jonah, he's your salvation, bringing you back within his will. In Micah, he is the judge of the nation. In Nahum, he's the jealous God. In Habakkuk, he's the holy one. In Haggai, he overthrows the enemies. In Zechariah, he is the Lord of hosts. And that is just the Old Testament. Because in Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's the servant. In Luke, he's the son of God, feeling what you feel. In John, he is the son, or he, in Luke, he is the son of man, feeling what you feel. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he is the savior of the world. In Romans, he's the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he's the rock that followed Israel. In 2 Corinthians, he is the triumphant one, giving victory. In Galatians, he's your liberty, he sets you free. In Ephesians, he's the head of the church. In Philippians, he is your joy. In Colossians, he's your completeness. In 1 Thessalonians, he's your hope. First Timothy, he's your faith. In 2 Timothy, he's your stability. In Philemon, he's your benefactor. In Hebrews, he's your perfection. In James, he is the power behind your faith. In 1 Peter, he is your example. In 2 Peter, he's your purity. 1 John, he's your life. 2 John, your pattern. 3 John, your motivation. In Jude, he is the foundation of your faith. And in Revelation, he is your soon and coming king. Jesus shows who he is to these disciples. He, he's bringing clarity to them in the scriptures of, of everything that's been fulfilled and everything that's been prophesied. They went from doubt and insecurity to understanding and safety. And as he taught them, the disciples went from this confusing, uncertain situation into clarity. And can I just say this morning that if you and I want clarity, if you want insight and understanding into what's going on in your life and in your world, then we have to go to God's word. Everything that we need is found in God's word. In this constantly changing world, this chaotic craziness that we are a part of, God has given us something unchanging. He's given us an anchor for our soul. Number three, Jesus turned their hopelessness into purpose. He goes on in verse 48. He says, you are a witness of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, which is the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, after this series, we are going to do another series uh, called By My Spirit, All Things Holy Spirit, what it means for us to have the Holy Spirit in our life, how we walk empowered by the Holy Spirit, and really what Jesus was doing when he sent the Holy Spirit as a helper to the disciples. So he says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. The disciples were locked away. 
They were behind closed doors. They had no motivation at this point, no drive, no incentive. They, they had lost all sense of purpose. Prior to that, they were off doing the will of God. They were off healing people in Jesus' name, and they were doing ministry in their life circle. But now, all of a sudden, with the crucifixion, they find themselves completely hopeless and without a purpose. It's because the disciples were feeling sorry for themselves. What happened was is the disciples, in their fear and anxiety, began to look inward. And whenever you begin to look inward, you forget to look upward to God. And when you forget to look upward, you forget to look outward to him. Sadly, the disciples had become so inwardly focused, they had forgotten their purpose. I'll give you another time in which Jesus turned hopelessness into hope. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, we we pick up this story in between the resurrection and the ascension where Peter and John are in a boat and they're fishing and all of a sudden they see on the shore, they see what looks like a ghost, right? I mean, it's kind of this running theme for everyone. And to be honest, it's kind of understandable why they would. Uh, they thought he was dead. If that is Jesus, he's probably some ghostly form of Jesus. But But he yells out to them about fishing, and they catch fish, and they drag it into the shore, and they cook a fish. Now, I just want to kind of reflect back a little bit. Prior, or right at the crucifixion story, you've got Peter sitting or standing around a fire. And he's standing around a fire, warming himself, Scripture tells us, and some people that are standing there with him recognize him. And they said, aren't you one of those that followed Jesus? And Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. In fact, he did it three different times. He denied that he knew Jesus. And that was really prophesied. It was foretold that he, he was going to deny uh, Jesus three times. And so now, fast forward, it's after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And, and they see Jesus. They, they finally discover that it's Jesus on the beach. And, and they end up on the beach with him sitting around a fire. Now, I didn't know this, but I just think it's an interesting fact. Uh, Pastor Jay actually shared this with me uh, prior to to the message. I was going to use this scripture, but I didn't know this about it. That the Greek word uh, anthrakia, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but you probably don't know either, so just trust me that it's right. Uh, Anthrakia, it literally means charcoal fire, but it's used two times in scripture. It's used uh, in the description of the fire in which Peter denied Jesus. And it's used in the time in which they're sitting around the fire cooking the fish and Jesus is now addressing Peter again. Same fire. There's an article that says that uh, this story, the, the fire is the smell of redemption because I want to read to you what Jesus says to Peter, it says when they, in verse 15 of chapter 21, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And his response was, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Of course, we know uh, just, I mean, it doesn't take a Bible scholar to recognize the importance of Peter denying Jesus three times and then this moment in which Jesus is now with Peter again, sitting around a fire, and he asks three different times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? There's this redemptive process that's taking place next to this fire where Jesus is saying, you have a greater purpose, and yes, you denied me. Yes, you had hopelessness. Yes, you went through all of that, but I am giving you a purpose again. He even tells him, listen, this is going to be a rough go for you. There's going to be a time in which you are going to be killed. You're going to go to places you don't want to go, but you're going to do it because there's a purpose on your life. Because if you love me, you will do the things that I've called you to do. I was, as I was thinking about this final point, I was thinking about our lives. I was thinking about the fact that it doesn't matter what we've experienced in our past, it doesn't matter how far we've gone down that road, that the reality is, is that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And that, that no matter how hopeless you might feel, even in the moments in which we find ourselves, that there is a purpose, and that purpose is to not hunker down and be inward thinking. Our purpose is to get out into our life circle and feed his sheep, take care of his sheep. And we, of course, know that, that, yes, there is elements of that that is uh, actual the feeding of people. We're going to hear about that in just a moment. But there's also giving them the bread of life, giving them the gospel message, the hope of the world, which is what many of us have experienced. I was thinking about uh, going from hopelessness to hope, and I was reminded of, of my friend Juan Allen's story, and he's shared this even uh, before here at Lifehouse. If you don't know who Juan Allen is, uh, him and I became friends in 2011. And, uh, and over the years, our friendship has grown. He oversees medical ministry Amazonas. Uh, he also is the director, the international director of, I don't know, South America, some fancy title that they've given him. I, I, wonder, I don't know how you get these fancy titles, but uh, he's got this fancy title, which basically means that he's now in charge of all of the MMI countries, uh, I think in South America. Is that primarily correct? And, uh, and Juan Allen is uh, the one who is, as he leads MMI Amazonas, is the one in which we've raised funds for, uh, at the golf tournament this last week, but over our Make a Difference offering with the boat. Uh, but he, all of that sounds amazing. The fancy titles, the, uh, the fundraising, and the ministry that's taking place. But it hasn't always been that way. And so I'm going to invite Juan Allen. In fact, why don't you give him a round of applause and have him come and share with us uh, a little bit of, of your story. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I say in the um, online, hello, Lifehouse family, Amazonas Presente. 
I'm really happy to be here in person and not doing it through a really bad Wi-Fi connection down there in the <laughs> Amazon. And usually, your preaching usually takes like two hours when I'm listening to it. Oh, that's how long it really is, actually. Oh, I thought it was internet connection. <laughs> okay, so yes, from hopelessness to purpose. And I think it all starts, interesting enough, with that verse over there at the back. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then, if you go on, there's another thing on the wall outside. Connecting people to real love, real life, to impact the world. And that's where everything started for me. And I wrote this down. Real love transforms and takes you to real life and inserts you to fulfill God's purpose for your life where impossible things happen. It's in the context while we're doing God's purpose where impossible things start to happen. But where did that come from? Um, I was born in a Christian family. My parents, almost 40 years, 45 years, missionaries in the jungle. Um, my, my parents leading a church in Bogota. I was on the council. I was leading um, new, different ministries. And I came here to San Antonio. I was getting to know. I stayed at, the, at Mark Dorazio's place, where, where, who's a member of this church. And he prayed. That's where I also met Pastor Ryan. And he prayed for everybody. And he, finally, he prayed for me. And he said, Juan Allen, you're going to go through a very difficult time in your life. That's not very promising. <laughs> That's not doesn't look like a very nice purpose. And um, but your faith is going to get you through. And my reaction was, nope, I cancel that. That is not from God. And all my flight down to Colombia was like saying, no, that does not come from God. Everything's okay in my life. I'm okay. Two weeks later my ex-wife left. And that devastated my life because those things are not supposed to happen to missionary kids, to people that serve in the church, right? Those bad things, but that did happen to my life and I was devastated. It also came in a time that financially I was about to lose my home. Uh, the bank was going to take it away. And that was this context when real love connected me to real life. And how did that happen? We got to know each other with Pastor Ryan. He took a team down to the Amazon. And I remember he was saying, okay, Juan Allen, I suppose you're going, we're going to meet your family, right? I would just look down and say, well, sort of, because there was shame in my life. Because going through a separation or a divorce, that, that's not supposed to be. So he would sort of constantly ask me, and I was like dreading the moment when we were going back to Bogota and said, because he said it again, are we going to meet tonight, your family? And I said, <clears throat> we'll see. I had like faith that everything might fix and I would be able to do that, but that didn't happen. And we were sitting there at the table when, with a lot of like shame, but at the same time starting to understand what real love means and real family, I said to them, look, if I'm going to be really part of a real family, I have to say this. And I shared my situation. I'm going through a separation I'm going through a very difficult time in my life. That's why my family is not here tonight. And I thought, 
they were going to reject me. I thought, this is the end of it, um, and it's okay, because who wants to hang around with a person that has a messy life? But no, I was accepted into this family. I was accepted to start living real love and real life in my, in my life. And that gave me a purpose. And impossible things started to happen in my life. The first impossible thing. Let me show it on the picture. My wife, Leonor. <laughs> he gave me Leonor, my wife. And she texted me last night and she said this. She was talking with my mother. And my mother had texted her and, she, and my mom said, I tell you the following, Leonor. Juan Alan cannot be where he is without you. Do mom say that, uh, Ryan? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of rude, honestly. Yeah. And I'm like, what's that about? And she answered, uh, hello, Mrs. Rosemary. My mom's called Rosemary. That's not true. He can do everything he is doing without me. But he includes me because he loves me. I'm like, wow. But you know what? God can do everything that he is doing without us as well. But he includes us in these impossible things because he loves us. I'm glad you decided to obey God's word, Pastor Ryan, in all what you're doing here. Because it's, there's a bigger thing. There's a bigger narrative that is happening. Then, there she is. And she wrote to me also, Juan, um, you know what? I think we are fortunate. And, and before that, she had written, she told my mom, she said, Juan, uh, uh, Rosemary, everything that I do, I do it because I love him, because I want him to look good, and also because I love serving God. I love seeing the power of God. I love seeing his mercies overflow to the indigenous. I love seeing his miracles and his endless love for the indigenous people. And then she writes to me, Juan Alan, I think God has blessed us. We have much more than what we deserve. He is blessing us. But we lose focus when we fight. So, Juan Alan, please learn to say, yes, ma'am, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> that ended it. So, God, that was the first divine intervention, the impossible thing. God gave me this woman to walk alongside me to be able to show real love to the Amazon. And that's how things started to go. Then the next picture, you can see a suitcase there. The whole pharmacy of our projects, in that time when we started, fitted in that suitcase. That's all what we had. And with that, we started. This is around our very first projects around 2011. We were in a Brazilian community about five or six hours away from Leticia. And that's all we, what we had. But with that, we started to show real love. We started to have a purpose. Then, next picture, Survivor arrived. And it arrived through a generous donation of a family of this church. And with that, we, it wasn't anymore a suitcase, but with that, with that boat, we can approximately take two to three tons of all the equipment we now have to serve the indigenous. From a suitcase to survivor, 
from Survivor. Then we also have another boat, next, which is Rick Skinner. So on Survivor, we take all the equipment. On this boat, we take all the team. And now, next picture, the boat. <laughs> Why? Because real love, when you have a purpose, impossible things happen. But why is this? Because where are we serving? It's not about the boat. It's not about survivor. It's about the indigenous people that real love wants to reach. The, the area where we serve, one of the rivers called, it's, there's a book written about it, and the book is called The River That God Forgot. You can look it up in Amazon, and you can buy it, and read about why. Amazon online, not... Not, not Amazon. Okay. <laughs> uh, I got it, yeah. Uh, I'll be here all day. Okay. Then there's another book called The Devil's Paradise. And that boat will be serving in that region. Because, because it's not going to be anymore the river that God forgot. It's not going to be Devil's Paradise. But a new book is being written. It's written through real love, real family. Because what is written there, real love, real family, the indigenous people also need to be connected to real love. They also need to be connected to real life. They also need to see impossible things happen in their lives. They also need to have a purpose in their life. So do you see what you one day with your council team decided to do? how it's reaching, I don't know, places you didn't even imagine. Yeah. This is how this works, because there's a much bigger narrative. And when we were talking about the boat, uh, Pastor Jay, in April of last year, he texted me. I was discussing some things for MMI Peru, and they were talking about their building. It was a million-dollar building, and I said to the Lord, God, when is our dream going to happen? You have blessed us. But we have a dream. Then I said to the Lord, okay, it doesn't matter. We'll keep on doing what we, with what you have given us. In that precise moment, Pastor Jay texted me. And he said, Juan, is your boat dream still alive? And I said, sure, it is. And in my mind, it was a wooden boat, a secondhand, a bought in Brazil, so that we could do all this. And what did God have in mind? this boat. What started off as a small project, in God's mind, it was basically almost $700,000 project. And you, want, and you know what? Between April and basically December, all the funds have been donated and received. And this church played a significant, very significant part in that. I believe it was almost $200,000 that came from this. But we can't just talk about the number because that's, that's not God's plan. God's plan is that he's writing a new chapter. But I also want to take it to this, and I think this is also important. What he has done for the indigenous, he can also do it for you. That real love is for you as well. Impossible things can happen in your life when you're in God's purpose. What is God's purpose for your life? 
What is your boat? What is your dream? But rest of sure of this. Impossible things will also happen in your life when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we insert ourselves in real love, become part of a real family, we have purpose and impossible things happen. That's good. That's good. You got more, right? Oh, I got more, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean... Next. Um, as you see, Leonora and her team serving the people after we, we, we do the medical part, we meet with the people, we share the gospel, and we pray for the people. Next picture. Um, the World Food Program. You know what? If we hadn't had Survivor, it, during the pandemic, the World Food Program reached out to us. And they said, Juan, do you think you can do the, uh, distribute some food baskets to the indigenous? I said, sure, we can. I thought they would fit in the boat and we'd take them. After six cycles of various months, we have coordinated the distribution of almost 480 tons of food in between 20 villages of the Amazon to 512 families. Because one, because God has given us the resources. God has given us the tools to impact with real love these communities. And you know what? Just a sideline story. Uh, we met with these people. They came like for the last part and they were discussing and they said, Juan, Remember, you can't pray before doing the food distribution. We are a humanitarian organization. We're supposed to be neutral, nothing about politics, but you can't pray also. And I said, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> we will pray. And if you don't like it, it's your problem. And sure enough, we did. Because we can't, we can't, we can't deny who we are. And the whole communities that we served know, obviously, that the World Food Program provided the food. But they also know this verse by heart, that Psalm 46, verse 1, that God is our ever-present help in times of need. During a pandemic, they received all this food. Because, so you see the storyline, how God provides impossible things to be able to share real love. Next picture, quickly. This is my wife. She leaves on Tuesday. She's going He's with got a ton of pictures of his wife. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was an impossible her. thing. <laughs> um, uh, she leaves with Survivor and Rick. 18 hours, almost, I think, 1,000 gallons of petrol she'll need to serve in a region. Next picture. In the, in the Papunya area. As you can see, you can see how they dress. These, these families to that point had walked almost six hours in the jungle to receive health care. And we served them. This was last year. And they invited us. I said, can you come to our village? And you want to know what? These people are very remote. And they don't let the government in. They don't let any other organization in. But because we went with health care, they let us in. And they want to hear the gospel. Next picture. That's a dental team serving these indigenous people that have never felt real love, that have never seen a dentist before. Next picture. That's one of our dentists. All that's because we were still in COVID time. So we had to take, make, take precautions. But um, there we are serving. Next picture. Leonor leading the team into the jungle to, to, to reach these people. Next picture. That's one of our doctors. 
she delivered this baby in, in an indigenous community. We always take some, some clothes to be able to, and some sheets to be able to give to them. Next picture. And all this, this is a cool part. All this, these two gentlemen are of a village where 22, 23 families live. They came to us and said, we want you to start a prayer group. And we want to have a church in our community. So, real love, you know where it's going now, right? Establishing the kingdom of God in the Amazon. Next picture. We're praying for this guy in San Pedro de Tipisca. Why is that village important? Because Pastor Jay went with Edgardo last year. We were seeing patients there when a girl uh, found out she was pregnant because we did a test on her. So that was really bad for the family. They were crying. We went and prayed for them. We met with them. That family received the Lord Jesus Christ. They started a prayer group. Now they're in the phase of planting this, the church. And this young guy in black has committed uh, to be there for one year to try to establish a church in the community. So can you see how real love is expanding and flowing towards the Amazon because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right. Thanks, Lionel. Not a lot that I would add to that. I, there's a passage of Scripture that says, um, be faithful with little and I'll give you much. Uh, it might as well say, in your case, be faithful with a suitcase full of medication and I'll give you a hospital boat. Right? And, yeah, so, as Christians, our orders haven't changed. We are called to live our life on purpose, on mission, and no matter what we have experienced in this life, what we have been, where we've come from, we can go from hopelessness into purpose and taking the message of Jesus into our life circle, into every aspect of our life. I want to pray with us. We're going to close our time.